So good morning once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For the past few months, Elder Jim Scramstead has been leading the Sunday morning Bible study through the book of Ecclesiastes. When we got to the last lesson before the summer break, we almost got to the end of the book. But we're going to have that lesson when we begin again in the fall. And I had someone come up and ask me if I would preach a sermon on the end of Ecclesiastes because the last chapter kind of sums up the whole message of the book and kind of lands the plane of Solomon's teaching. So that's what we're going to do today. This may be a little preview of Jim's final lesson in the fall, but it's a message we should never, ever get tired of hearing. Before we dig into chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, I'd like for us to have a quick review of what Solomon has taught us in the first 11 chapters. I know, you're thinking, how can you sum up 11 chapters of teaching and still have time left to preach on the 12th chapter? Well, we can do it if we do it very quickly. In chapter 1, Solomon taught us that life is a burden that is meaningless without God. It is vanity to think that anything we do has true meaning without God at the center of it. We were introduced to the word that's translated meaningless in the NIV and vanity in other translations. And the basic meaning of the word is that life is like a vapor, a mist, a, a chasing after the wind. Can you chase the wind? And if so, can you catch it? Can you contain it? No. This is what happens when we try to live our lives for ourselves and leave God out of the equation. Chapter 2 taught us that physical and sensual pleasures don't have any eternal value or meaning when they're done outside of God's established boundaries. When all we do is pursue pleasure for pleasure's sake, it becomes an idol for us that will never satisfy. It will not bring any eternal value to our lives. Chapter 3 taught us that there is a time for everything under the sun, and we need to know what time it is in our lives. There's a time for living and a time for dying. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And we have no ultimate control over those times of our lives. They are in God's hands. Chapter 4 taught us that work itself is meaningless or a chasing after the wind if we're working for the wrong reasons and with the wrong goals in mind. But when we connect with God, our work, and, and, and we do our work for the Lord, then our work is not just vanity, but it can bring meaning to our lives. Chapter 5 taught us that we need to stand in a holy awe of God. And if we fail to invite God into our lives, then we will live a meaningless life, and our life will be a life full of misery. Chapter 6 taught us that without God, life is pointless. Family is meaningless, and life is just this vicious cycle of, again, chasing after the wind. Solomon contemplated this question as he looked at his own life. And I think the question could be rephrased this way. Is there any such thing as happily ever after without God? Many people will say that they can live happily ever after. Many people will say that 
happily ever after is not even a reality in today's world. I look at our society today and I say that there is no happily ever after if we don't have God in our lives. Chapter 7 taught us that wisdom comes from God, not from man. That we all need wisdom in our lives because it will help us to balance the day the issues of life on this earth and it will also help us to better understand the reality of eternity. We all need to understand that wisdom is not attained by human knowledge or through all of our experiences. Wisdom is indeed a gift from God. Chapter 8 taught us that true wisdom submits to authority. It avoids wickedness, and it knows that it doesn't have all the answers. Solomon continues his explanation of the value of wisdom, and he tells us that a wise heart is a heart that knows how to submit to authority. It knows that, that wickedness holds this death grip on people, and it accepts the fact, again, that it doesn't have all the answers to life, only God does. In chapter 9, Solomon challenges us to examine whether we are alive in God or dead in our sin. He tells us to find God's favor now, because at the end of our life, it will be too late. He says, death waits for us all. And what's important is where we stand with God when our time on earth is over. In chapter 10, Solomon taught the difference between being wise and being foolish, and he gave many examples in that chapter that explained his desire for wisdom instead of folly. In chapter 11, Solomon taught us to plant seeds of wisdom now so that we can reap the benefits later in life. Solomon tells us to plant seeds of wisdom even when we're young because then we will reap a great eternal harvest with our life. He says, invest now with your life and reap eternal dividends. Squander your life now, and you'll reap anxiety and physical trouble later. Now, all of this leads up to this final chapter in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon will give us the conclusion of the matter of what life is all about. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is found on page 478 of your pew Bibles. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, in the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed, or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. 
Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, they're collected sayings, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Lord, these are are your words given through your servant Solomon for us today, for people throughout the ages, Lord. Open up our hearts and our minds to understand them. Holy Spirit, guide our thoughts today. And as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If we were to look back at the final two verses of chapter 11, we would read these words. Solomon wrote, Be happy, young man, while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless, or as other translations say, vanity. And we have to remember that we have these these chapter divisions in our Bibles. But when this was written, it all flowed together in one long manuscript. And these words would have led right into what we are looking at today. So as Solomon is telling the young that even the pleasures and strength of youth are meaningless and vanity, then the question comes up. What can possibly bring meaning and purpose to life? And that's what Solomon begins with in our passage for this morning. He basically is asking, do you want meaning? Do you want purpose? Then remember your Creator in the days of your youth. That's where you'll find meaning and purpose. And that's where so many young people today have so much trouble finding meaning and purpose in their lives because they have been taught ever since kindergarten that they are merely cosmic accidents of evolution. So how can they remember their creator when they've been taught that there is no creator? How can they know where to look for meaning when they've been taught that everything in life just comes about by chance? So Solomon teaches that we should remember God while we're still young. See, but our flesh, our sinful nature would answer back and say, hey now, come on, what's the rush? Why not wait until you've sown a few wild oats first, right? Why not wait till..." 20, 30, 40 years down the road until you've had a lot of fun doing the things that you want to do your way and then, then turn to God. 
I mean, right? That way you get the best of both worlds, don't you? That's what our flesh would say. But Solomon doesn't waste time answering that kind of reasoning. He says simply, remember him. Remember God before the days of trouble come. You see, Solomon understood. He knew that there is a God. There is a God who created this world and everything in it. And it is only through him that we find our meaning and our purpose in life. And Solomon begins here by telling us to remember God while you still have time. Remember back in chapter 3, we were taught that there's a time for everything. A time to live and a time to die, and we don't know when that time will come to pass. In verses 1, 2, and 6 of our passage for today, we see Solomon use the word before. And that word, in its context here, reminds us of the finality of death. There is a time for everything, and death is coming to us all. Isn't that just a wonderful message? But it's truth. So we must live our lives remembering our Creator and all that He's done for us before that final curtain comes down and life as we know it here on earth is over. So Solomon says, remember God, remember your Creator while you're still young. Why is that so important? Because it will set us up on the right path of following God and remaining in our faith when all those days of trouble come along later on. And that's what he begins to teach about next. We talked about some of this in our last Sunday school lesson. For those of you who were there, this will be a little bit of a review. The images that Solomon uses here all look toward the end of life. Those days of trouble when our, our bodies begin to fail us. And our friends and loved ones go into eternity and leave us here still on this earth. Any, anybody here have your body begin to fail you at any time? Show of hands? <laughs> the images that Solomon uses, the images of the sun and the moon and the stars growing dark, look toward the end of life as our faculties begin to fade and that curtain begins to descend. In verse 3, the keepers of the house could refer to our hands that were once steady and strong, right? Ready and able to provide for and defend our families, but now they tremble with weakness as our days here are prolonged. The strong men now stooping show the weakness in our backs and our legs as we're no longer able to support the weight of our bodies as old age encroaches. The grinders ceasing in verse 3. They're talking about our teeth as they get old and fail or fall out. And he says, Solomon says, they're few, right? Now today we have all kinds of dental appliances and things that can help us keep our teeth or replace them with implants so we can continue to chew and enjoy the foods that we love to eat. Everybody here has different things that they love to eat, right? I'm not going to mention donuts. I just did. Okay. <laughs> But it wasn't that way back then when their teeth failed, they fell out or they were pulled out and it became more and more difficult to eat as the years went by. The line that speaks of those looking through the windows, growing dim, is talking about our eyes fading as we get older. Anybody here have issues with your vision as the years have passed? 
few of you, yeah? You know, I never wore glasses until my 40s. I began with reading glasses when the words got harder and harder to make out on the page. But after a few years of those, I needed regular everyday glasses. Now they're bifocals, and I still need them today, and I don't think that's going to change until the day I go home to be with the Lord. The images in the next verses of the doors to the street being closed, the sounds of grinding fading, rising up when the birds sing, but the sound of their singing growing faint, being afraid to go out into the streets where the danger is. These are all images of growing older and the things we face as time passes in our lives. When the almond tree blossoms, looks to our hair turning white as the flowers of the almond tree are white. The grasshopper who could once jump and dart about now just drags himself along and has no desire to do the things that he was once able to do. We look at these images and we think, just as Solomon thought, is this all that there is to life? Are we just supposed to grow old and then fade away as our days here on earth come closer to their end? And just to give you a quick preview of the ending here, the answer to that question is no. That's not all there is to life. And every person's life has meaning and purpose up until the day we go home to be with the Lord. And that's really where Solomon goes next. He says, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. So Solomon tells us once again to remember God, to remember our Creator before that day comes. Before the silver cord is broken, before the pitcher is shattered, or the wheel at the well is broken and we return to the dust from whence we came, and our spirit returns to God. Looking back on all that he has taught now in the last 11 and a half chapters, Solomon says it's all meaningless or vanity. It's all a chasing after the wind. And we'll see that as he concludes his teaching, it's a chasing after the wind if we do not remember God and include him in our lives and our activities. Solomon was an avid student. He was noted for writing many proverbs which are filled with insight and wisdom. We have many of them recorded for us in God's Word. If we look back at the beginning of Solomon's reign as the king of Israel, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we see God appear to Solomon and ask Solomon to ask God for whatever he wanted God to give him. And Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for all the pleasures that this world has to offer. But he didn't ask for any of those things. He asked God for wisdom and knowledge so that he could lead God's people and govern them wisely. So God gave Solomon wisdom, more wisdom than any other man ever had. And because he had asked for wisdom and not all of those other things, the Lord decided to give him those other things as well. And if we look at the life of Solomon, and we see the way that he lived, and the original restrictions that the Lord had placed on the king of Israel, we're going to see that Solomon didn't always live his life in the wisdom that the Lord had given him. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we, we read about the restrictions that the Lord gave to His people concerning the king that they would appoint to lead them. And in those restrictions, we read these things, spelled out very clearly. First, the king must not be a foreigner, but must come from the people of Israel. Okay, so far so good, right? Solomon was an Israelite. The king must not acquire for himself a great number of horses or make the people go back to Egypt to acquire them for him. The king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold for himself. And when the king took the throne, he was to write for himself on a scroll a copy of all of the law that God had given to his people. And it was to be with him at all times. He was to read from it daily so that he might learn to revere the Lord, to fear the Lord, and to follow his law so that he might lead his people fairly and justly. But in 1 Kings chapters 10 and 11, we read that Solomon accumulated for himself all of these things that the Lord had forbidden the king to have. We're told that Solomon received 666 talents of gold every year. And in the footnotes, that says it equates to about 23 to 25 tons of gold a year. He made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar. He had 1,400 chariots and 12 thousand horses. Many of those horses had been imported from Egypt, exactly where the Lord told him not to get them from. And even though the Lord had specifically told his people that they were not to intermarry with the nations surrounding them because those people would turn their hearts away from God, we're told that Solomon accumulated 700 wives of noble birth from many nations, and he had 300 concubines at his beck and call. And we're told that as he grew older, Solomon's many wives turned his heart away from the Lord, just as the Lord said would happen. So Solomon lived his life, and he enjoyed all the pleasures that this world had to offer him. But he taught us in chapter 2 that all of those worldly pleasures were simply vanity, a chasing after the wind. He had more riches than any other man of his day, and yet those riches didn't bring meaning and purpose to his life. He had women at his beck and call. He had servants to wait on his every need. And we see here, at the end of his teaching in Ecclesiastes, that he saw it all as vanity, that it gave no meaning or purpose to his life. But how many people today are looking for meaning and purpose in those exact same things. Solomon was more learned than any other person of his time, but he tells us here there is no end to making many books and that devoting yourself to study just wearies the body. I had a friend in college, this was a Christian college, who used this as his life verse. Sounds funny, doesn't it? He was very intelligent and didn't need to study as much as I did uh, to learn the things that we were required to learn. So he said that if much study wearies the body, then why should I spend all my time studying all these books that had no end? Remarkably, not sure how, but he ended up with just as good of grades as I did, and I studied really hard. But Solomon was given all of this wisdom, all of this wisdom from God, and he as well said that meaning and purpose are not found 
through studying the things that this world has to offer us. So Solomon, in all of his wisdom, teaches us here probably toward the very end of his life that meaning and purpose are only found in a relationship with God. Solomon says, Now all has been heard. I've told you about all of life as we know it. And I've told you that there's no meaning or purpose in any of it. So what is the conclusion of the matter? He's saying, what is it really all about? And he answers this question and he says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And why do we do this? Solomon says, because God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. After all has been said and looked at and studied, Solomon tells us simply to fear God and keep his commandments. In essence, he's telling us, do as I say, not as I did. He's saying, I did everything this life has to offer. I enjoyed every pleasure I could find in this world, but none of it brought true meaning to my life. The only thing that will give meaning to our lives here on earth is to fear God and keep his commandments. And I think that Solomon, as he looked back on his life, I think he realized that he had failed to do exactly what he was teaching here. And I believe there was probably some regret in his heart as he looked back over his life. But as he got to the point where his grinders were failing and his almond tree was blossoming as his hair was turning white and the spring in his step was fading, I believe he remembered why he was here. And he brought all of his godly wisdom to bear in telling us that our sole purpose in life is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Okay, sounds easy enough, right? I'll just do that. I can fear God. I can revere him. I can respect him. I can worship him. I can keep his commandments. Wait, really? Can I keep his commandments? All of them? All the time? No, I can't. Not in my own strength. God's word tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, that there is no one righteous, not even one. We can't keep God's commands on our own. As hard as we might try, we will fail sometime along the way. That's the reality of sin in this world. Because of sin, we can't keep the commands of God. He is holy and he calls us to live holy lives. But we can't, not on our own power. And friends, that's why Jesus had to come into this world to be our Savior. Jesus came into this world and he lived a perfect life. A life without sin. He was God incarnate. God wrapped up in human flesh. And he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Yet he never gave in to sin. And because he never sinned, that allowed him to become the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In the Old Testament, the lamb that was to be sacrificed for the sins of the people had to have no blemishes. It was to be spotless, a perfect spotless lamb that was presented before holy God. That's the only way that the Lord would accept the offering. 
So Jesus, as the perfect Lamb of God, offered Himself on the cross for our sins so that we could be made clean, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could stand righteous before holy God. The only one who perfectly feared God and kept his commandments was Jesus. And he did it for our sake because we couldn't do it ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, that through him, we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what we remember and celebrate when we come to the Lord's table, as we're going to do here in just a minute. Solomon said in verse 1, to remember your Creator in the days of your youth, And he said in verse 6, to remember him before your time on earth is over. Jesus told us to come together to his table and to do this how? In remembrance of him. The message of Solomon and the message of Jesus come together and meet at the communion table of the Lord. And whether we're in our youth or in the the later days of our lives, it doesn't matter. We are called to remember our Creator and all that He has done for us to bring us back into a right relationship with Him once again. So through the grace and the strength of God, let us learn to fear God and to keep His commandments, as Solomon taught us, knowing that we can't do it on our own, but trusting that Christ living within us can. So let us remember our Creator. Let us come to the table in remembrance of what God the Father did in sending God the Son to keep the commandments for us and then to give of Himself so that we could be forgiven. Let us come and receive the grace of God freely given to us through this holy sacrament.